I want to start uh, the presentation, I'm calling this Rise of the Global Technocracy, by just reminding everyone that the, the Luciferian elite, sometimes you hear them called the global elite or the deep state, or there's various different names, but from a biblical perspective and from their own terminology, the Luciferian elite are those that are working at the behest of Satan to roll out a one-world tyrannical system, both in a political sense, a religious sense, and an economic sense. And this one-world system we know from Scripture is going to be led uh, someday by the Antichrist and his henchman, his second-in-command, the false prophet. So when I was with you guys a couple of years ago, uh, and by the way, we have fond memories of our time there at, at Doug Gap. It was a great, great visit. Appreciate your hospitality. And so thankful to get to kind of connect with you, at least remotely here again. But when I was with you a couple of years ago, we talked about the spirit of the Antichrist, which John tells us is already at work in the world. Uh, but my new book, which just came out September 1st, is called Spirit of the False Prophet. And it is uh, you know focused on the false prophet's role in the end times and how the stage is being set for his role. So it's called, as you can see on the screen there, Spirit of the False Prophet, Rise of the Global Technocracy. And tonight we're going to be talking about that, that subtitle aspect, Rise of the Global Technocracy. But before we dive in, uh, I want to take a look at where the Antichrist and the false prophet fit in the broader subject of Bible prophecy. Uh, so let's go back to one of the pivotal prophecies, perhaps the most pivotal prophecy in all of Scripture, and that's uh, the prophecy of Daniel. So Daniel wrote about 500 years before Christ. Uh, he was writing at a time when the exiles uh, were beginning to return from exile. The pa Babylonian captivity was coming to an end. And uh, he realizes that the prophecy of Daniel had, I mean, a prophecy of Jeremiah had, you know, run its course. God had promised the people of Israel uh, or prophesied to the people of Israel that they would be in captivity 70 years, and Daniel realizes the clock is running out on that, and he wonders what comes next in God's plan. And so he prays in Daniel chapter 9. Of course, Daniel has all kinds of prophetic implications, chapter 2 with the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, which gives us you know, an overview of God's plan of the ages, chapter 7 with Daniel's dream himself of the beasts, same thing. We learn a lot about the Antichrist in chapters 11 and 12, but chapter 9 really is the key because when Daniel asks God what comes next in your plan, God uh, reveals what's called the 70 weeks prophecy. Now, week is the English translation of the Hebrew word Shabuah. Uh, Shabuah in Hebrew means seven-year period, at least in this context. In some context, it can mean a seven-day period, but it's obvious in Daniel's context he was thinking in terms of years, the 70 years of Jeremiah. And, and God says, well, you want to know what comes next? It's not going to be 70 years this time. This time I'm going to give you 70 times seven, 490 years. So he talks about 70 uh, Shabuahs, and he breaks these up into a segment of 69 Shabuahs, or seven-year periods, and seven seven-year period, and, and one seven-year period. So that's six, 69 plus one is 70. So the first 69 seven-year periods, that's 483 years. And Daniel tells us, God tells Daniel, and Daniel tells us in the inspired scripture, that that 483 years is going to begin with the decree of Artaxerxes when he uh, you know signs the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and it's going to end when Christ comes. 
Well, what's really fascinating, and one of the reasons scholars uh, focus in on Daniel so much, is, is its precision. It's just unbelievable how accurate Daniel's prophecy is, so much so that many liberal scholars actually think Daniel's not even in the Bible. They, they have no place for it because it's too accurate. So they say, oh, it must be a fake, right? Well, it's not a fake. It's God's Word. Jesus himself even quotes Daniel by name from this very passage in Daniel 9, 24 to 27, when he gives his famous uh, uh, Olivet Discourse at near the end of his earthly life. Uh, but if you do the math, what happens is you arrive precisely at the triumphal entry of Christ. So amazingly, the decree of Artaxerxes, we know historically that occurred March 5th, 444 BC. Uh, in the Jewish calendar at that time, you know, 500 years before Christ or so, uh, the calendar, the Jewish calendar had 360 days in it. So if you do the math, you come up with 173,880 days. And if you march forward in time, you arrive at precisely the date of Christ's triumphal entry. But there's still seven more years that are a part of this 490-year plan. So what Daniel says is after the 483 years, some things are going to happen. Uh, the Messiah is going to be cut off, and he was. The temple is going to be destroyed, and it was. And then after that, sometime after, this final seven-year period uh, is going to uh, commence, the final Shabuah, the final week, if you will, of Daniel. And what is going to begin that is the signing of a treaty, a confirming of a treaty uh, between the Antichrist and all the nations of the world. And so, uh, that week has not happened yet. That seven-year period has not happened yet. Uh, if you go back to Daniel's prophecy, uh, as you can see on the screen there, there's a gap of time clearly you know, articulated from the words of the prophecy itself between the 69th week and the start of the 70th week, or to put it another way, between the end of the 483rd year and the start of that final seven-year period. Uh, the New Testament comes along as God reveals more of his prophetic plan and explains that in this gap of time, we have uh, some other things taking place, namely the church. The Bible calls the church a mystery, meaning something that was not revealed in the Old Testament, and indeed it wasn't. Uh, but it, the Old Testament, as you can see on Daniel's prophecy here, certainly allows for it. And uh, so we see uh, you know, this uh, we're living in this you know inter-advent age, this 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 uh, time between the 69 weeks and the 70th week, uh, and the the start of that 70th week is uh, we don't know when it's going to be. It's it's a it's a, going to happen sometime after the rapture, and it will start when the Antichrist is unveiled uh, by virtue of signing that treaty that's mentioned in Daniel 9:27. So if you look at a broader view, if we kind of step back and look at all of history. Obviously, this is not drawn to scale, but you see the church age there. Uh, then you see the rapture, which is the next great prophetic event on God's calendar. After the rapture, at some point, the Antichrist is going to rise to the fore. Uh, he's going to sign this treaty that starts the clock ticking on the rest of Daniel's 490-year plan, that final seven-year period. And this is referenced in several passages, by the way. Jesus talks about it. The book of Revelation talks about it. And it's, it's a seven-year period, just as Daniel said it was. The first uh, 483 years were fulfilled literally, and the final seven years will be fulfilled uh, literally. And so what we're focusing on as we talk about the Antichrist and the false prophet is this section that I've highlighted in yellow, that seven-year period when uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet, this dynamic satanic duo, kind of take over the world and uh, usher in a one-world, or at least take the helm of a one-world 
political, religious, and economic system. Uh, I say take the helm of because uh, it's very possible, and in fact, the more we look at the signs of the times that we're going to talk about tonight, it seems likely that we may already be in some form of a one-world system before the Antichrist signs uh, the treaty with Israel. Uh, and that makes sense when you look at Bible prophecy because uh, you know, it, there's only seven years that he has to accomplish what the Bible says he's going to accomplish, the mark of the beast and the controlling the world in a full-spectrum planetary control grid. So it's, it's not like he's going to have a lot of time to set that up. It sounds to me like, and it seems to me like he's going to step into a fully developed one-world system, or as we're going to talk about tonight, what the Luciferians on earth have been calling a new world order for many uh, many, many years. So a couple more slides here before we dive into the meat of the matter. And I just want to compare a couple of other viewpoints on the end times, because not everybody takes the Bible in its literal grammatical historical framework. Uh, they tend to allegorize scripture. And that's because, and I was talking to someone about this this afternoon, we had an event at our at our church. But that's because, frankly, for about 16, 1700 years, uh, or let's say probably about 1,500 years up to the Protestant Reformation, uh, you couldn't read the Bible. You weren't allowed to read the Bible. The Catholic Church uh, wouldn't let people read the Bible. They burned people at the stake for owning a Bible. And they just said, trust us. The Pope is the king. This is the kingdom. We're living in the, the millennial age, if you will, the glory age. And uh, this is the fulfillment of God's plan. Well, of course, that's not the case. God promised a literal kingdom for Israel with a literal rebuilt temple and a literal Messiah coming back to rule and reign just as he promised. 30% uh, of the Bible, uh, or roughly 30 33% of the Bible is uh, prophecy. Half of that has not yet been fulfilled. And yet, if you look at the parts that have been fulfilled, they've all been fulfilled literally. It wasn't any big mystery. When the Bible says Jesus would be born of a virgin, he was born of a virgin. When the Bible says he would be born in Bethlehem, he was born in Bethlehem. When the Bible said he would be the suffering servant, he was the suffering servant. When the Bible says he would be cut off, he was crucified. And similarly, when the Bible describes the, the kingdom age and the dimensions of the kingdom, the dimensions of the temple, the, the nature of this uh, rule of the Messiah on the throne, uh, it's going to happen literally, and that has never happened in, in history. So we look forward to that, to the rest of Bible prophecy. Roughly half of, of Bible prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. Uh, so, you know, as you study the Scripture, if you ignore Bible prophecy, you're only studying about 84% of the Bible. And God wants us to study the whole counsel of God. He's given us his word for a reason. It tells us everything we need for life and godliness. And so, you know, we, we, we want to not neglect it. Um, so when the Bible starts out in the beginning, it sort of demands and begs the question, what about the end? And it's sad to me that so many people are content to ignore uh, the end times subject of Scripture. But because of uh, the influence of Roman Catholicism and uh, many other influences, people have arrived at false conclusions. For example, some people hold what's called an amillennial view, which basically says there is no kingdom, hence ah, millennial, ah meaning no, millennial kingdom, so no kingdom. And so this is what their uh, chart looks like. It's basically a line with the dot at the end of it, and that's the end. So all the saved people go to heaven, all the lost go to hell, and there's not any literal uh, antichrist, no false prophet, no abomination of desolation, no seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments, no two witnesses, no 144,000 witnesses, no uh, victorious uh, uh, triumphant return of Christ, no sitting on the throne, no rebuilt temple. Ezekiel 40 to 48 is all just a ma massive allegory and metaphor. So they just sweep away all of the teachings of 
uh, the Old Testament about the governments being upon Christ's shoulders and about the boundaries of the, the promised land reaching their climax as described in Genesis. Uh, so we can reject this view uh, because the Bible clearly does not uh, teach it. It teaches a literal return of Christ and a literal future for national Israel. God has not forsaken his unconditional promises for Israel. Another view that arose is particularly out of the uh, Enlightenment age and the scientific revolution was called the postmillennial view. And frankly, it's uh, strangely enough, making a resurgence today. It kind of died off at the end of World War I, and particularly World War II, when it became clear that the world is not getting better and better into this utopian, uh, you know, system. It, it was, you know, you had wars and suffering and so forth. But through uh, a lot of misinformed and, and frankly, poor Bible teachers uh, today, they're making this suggestion. It's called reconstructionism or theonomic ethics that, that somehow we are going to get better and better. They believe we're living in the kingdom now and that the world is getting better and better and better and it will reach its best. And at the end of this kingdom, Christ will come back to climax it. Well, uh, you know, they interpret the book of Revelation uh, to suggest that, you know, we're living in this age now and Christ comes back at the end of the kingdom, not at the beginning. Of course, there's one major problem with that. If you read the book of Revelation, the second coming takes place in Revelation 19. The kingdom doesn't isn't mentioned until Revelation 20. And last time I checked, 20 came after 19. Uh, but uh, this is uh, easily dismissed as well, not only because of the data of Scripture, but just look around you. Uh, the world is not getting better and better. Uh, it won't get better. It won't be healed and uh, improved until the King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes back. In fact, Paul explicitly tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 13, that evil men and imposters will get worse and worse, not better and better. Depravity is a degenerative disease. It gets worse uh, with time. And so uh, we can reject that view as well. And so the the, the biblical view, uh, I believe very strongly that, that you can defend uh, without question, is called premillennialism, that Christ is going to come back uh, and inaugurate the long-awaited kingdom. But before that time, there is a key uh, event, and that is the 70th week or Shabuah, that final seven year period that Daniel's prophecy talks about. So let's dive in to what we know some of the things that are going to happen from Scripture during that time. So if you go to Revelation chapter 6, the future Antichrist is going to set out like the little a Antichrists before him to kill millions of people. Uh, Satan's a killer. He's been a killer uh, since he invited Adam and Eve to uh, experience death. Remember, God said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Uh, Satan lied and said, you won't die because he's a killer. He wanted to manipulate them into dying. He wants to kill God's highest pinnacle of creation, mankind, who was made in the image of God. Satan ha hates mankind. When he sees you and me, he sees the image of God in man. We are the, 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 the image bearers of God. And so if he can destroy us or marginalize us, that's what transhumanism is all about, then it's sort of an in-your-face to the almighty creator God. So we see in Revelation chapter 6, at the beginning of that final seven-year period, the Antichrist, the first rider on a white horse, goes out conquering and to conquer. And the stage is being set for this depopulation movement prophetically uh, by groups like the World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, and other global uh, Luciferian uh, elites. But there's another beast that we see, and this one comes up out of the earth, and, and we read about him in chapter 13, and this is referring to say, the Antichrist's right-hand man, uh, the false prophet. He's called here the beast coming up out of the earth. He has two horns like a lamb, and yet he speaks 
like a dragon. And notice he exercises all the authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, and he causes uh, the whole earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So uh, the Antichrist uh, signs this treaty. He rules the world. He rules this one world system. Uh, there's a lot more we could say about that uh, biblically. We could go to Revelation 17 and 18 and talk about the Babylonian system and the harlot and the revival of the Roman Empire, as Daniel talks about. But just know that the Antichrist is in charge, and he's doing so at the behest of Satan. It's an unholy trinity, as I talk about in the book, in the same way that we believe God eternally exists in three persons, and he spoke the world into existence. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Satan, the great imposter who's trying to usurp God's control and take over the world, uh, he has his own form of a uh, simulated trinity, and it involves Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And in the same way that Jesus Christ uh, represented God, God in the flesh, the Antichrist will represent Satan in the flesh. And in the same way that the Holy Spirit is drawing men to Christ and, and convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment so that we can put our faith in Christ, the false prophet will lead people to worship and the, the, the Antichrist, the first um, beast. And he goes on to say, he, the false prophet, was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast uh, to be killed. So they're going to set up these images uh, because remember, God's image is mankind. We are made in his image. We're the only ones who, in whom he breathed the breath of life, and we have an eternal soul. Uh, that image, of course, was marred at the fall. Uh, it's restored through Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and someday all things will be made new, and the Bible will return full circle to a pre-fall Edenic state. But in the same way, Satan's going to want to set up his image all around the globe. And so I believe that's where, as I talk about in the book, uh, artificial intelligence and embodied AI and uh, all kinds of other technology will help uh, Satan accomplish this goal. Because remember, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are not omnipresent or omniscient or omnipotent. Um, they're finite. And so they, they won't be able to, to achieve the same level of power as the eternal creator of the universe, but they can simulate it, and I believe they'll use technology to do that. But here's the real uh, crux of the matter, and really where I spend most of the time in the book, and that is the false prophet at the behest of his boss, the Antichrist, both of whom are working under the direction of Satan, is going to cause all, and all means all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So this beast system is going to be the implementation of their full-spectrum planetary control grid. So what's going to happen is the first three and a half years of this final seven-year tyrannical regime are going to go along fairly uh, normal, if you will. Obviously, there will be God's outpouring of his wrath and the seal judgments and all kinds of cosmic signs and wonders. There'll be uh, all kinds of an upsurge in paranormal activity. But in terms of government, you'll have a Babylonian system. Revelation 17 talks about how uh, the harlot is going to ride the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. They're going to work hand in glove to, to kind of oversee the, uh, the world. But at the midpoint, that's when the Antichrist, Satan, uh, through the Antichrist, uh, takes a turn. 
He says, I'm through with this Babylonian system. Babylon falls in, in a, very quickly in an hour, and the Antichrist throws off this false religion that everyone had been following, this one world religion, and he says, guess what? I'm the new God. Now you've got to worship me. And so the mark of the beast, and, and he, he desecrates the temple. He sets himself up as God in the temple, as 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us. And so the mark of the beast really has two functions. It's going to not only serve as a control mechanism, because no one will be able to do anything, not buy, not sell, not travel, not anything without government approval, but it's also a mark of allegiance. Uh, and you're going to have to uh, swear your allegiance and worship the Antichrist, Satan, um, if you want to function in the world at that time. Now, keep in mind, if we go back to my you know, broad spectrum chart here, the church, the body of Christ, is promised that we won't be on the earth during this time. This Another name, as you see on the screen there, for this seven-year period is not only Daniel's 70th week, but the day of the Lord's wrath. And the wrath of God begins at the beginning of the tribulation. By the end of chapter 6, the people are already hiding from the wrath and crying out, save us from the wrath of Almighty God. And so the church is promised not to go through the wrath. So if you know the Lord Jesus, you won't be here during this time, but it nevertheless is part of Scripture and very important for us to understand and to study because, in fact, the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that tells us you get a special blessing just for studying the book of Revelation. And it tells us the end of the story. It connects the dots. So sometimes people will say, well, since we're not going to be here, why study it? No, you absolutely want to study it because it answers a lot of theological questions in our minds. For example, it answers the question, you know, is God going to avenge all the inequities and, and uh, you know, unfairness in this world, all the innocent people that have suffered at the hands of these evil, wicked world dictators, all the people that died under Hitler's regime or Pol Pot's regime or Mao Zedong's re regime? Is God going to even the score? And the, the overwhelming answer is absolutely yes. In fact, before Revelation even gets to the judgments of God and the wrath of God, chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation are what we call a theodicy where, where the, the world is crying out, you know, who is worthy to open the seals of God's wrath? When, when will God avenge, uh, you know, all of these inequities of life? And of course, the answer is the, the lamb. The lamb is worthy because he shed his, uh, his blood. So uh, the church is not going to have to deal with this uh, mark of the beast system, um, but it, it nevertheless is very important for us to understand because it allows us to do what Jesus said to do in Matthew 16, which is to note the time, the signs of the times. So a big part of the rest of this presentation is going to be taking a look at the ways in which the stage is most clearly being set for this one world control system technologically. So the mark of the beast as such, won't come into being until the midpoint of the tribulation. But that's not to say that the the back end mechanisms for you know inaugurating and, and rolling out this mark of the beast system aren't already being put in place. And I think it's pretty clear that uh, they are. So if you go to Second Tim, Second Peter rather, verse uh, chapter three, we know that many people. The Bible tells us in the last days, and we are living in the last of the last days right now. Uh, prior to the end times, uh, prior to the rapture, that many people are going to scoff and they're going to say, you know, why are you focusing on Bible prophecy in the end times? You know, everything's the same. It's always the same from the beginning. And, and they're going to scoff at those like myself who are preaching 
uh, about Bible prophecy. So that should not come as a surprise, but don't let them uh, intimidate you. Uh, in John, uh, uh, John's epistles, in 1 John chapter 2, he says that there are many antichrists uh, who have been coming. Now, he wrote this in the uh, you know, late 80s, early 90s AD, one of the final epistles, final uh, letter in the book of the, uh, of the Bible, uh, the, in the Bible was the book of Revelation, written about 95, 96 AD. John's the same author. He's writing this roughly the same time frame. And so what he's saying is, for the last 2,000 years, there have been many little a antichrists, but notice one antichrist uh, is coming. And, and it's because of these this antichrist uh, spirit, in chapter 4 he says the spirit of the antichrist is already at work among us, that we know we're living in the last days. So if you look at a panoramic view of God's plan of the ages, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, the, the earth is roughly 6,000 years old. There can be no question about that. I mean, Unfortunately, Darwin came along and suggested that we've all evolved over billions of years from a wet rock, but that's uh, uh, frankly frankly blasphemous. The Bible is very clear that God spoke the world into existence in six literal 24-hour days, roughly 6,000 years ago. And uh, the science actually proves that if you take the time to look at real science, not fake science. But if you take a look at God's plan of the ages, you can see that uh, between the sixth the age and the seventh age, we're going to have this transitional completion of Daniel's uh, plan, the 490-year plan that will usher in and lead us up to the triumphant return of Christ when he splits the eastern sky. So where are we on this chart? Well, we're right here. And you can see why it's called the last days, because it indeed is the last days prior to the coming uh, kingdom. And so, again, many antichrists have already gone out into the world, and these are indeed perilous times, and they're getting worse and worse and worse. He goes on to say, Paul does in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that evil men and imposters will get worse and worse, as I mentioned uh, earlier. So it's very important for us to study the whole counsel of God, to study Bible prophecy, so that we can have discernment and and you know not fall prey to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1, which I talked about when I was with you a couple of years ago, I think, I'm not sure if I had the book out. It kind of, uh, I can't remember exactly when I was there, but uh, in my first volume, and, and this new book is essentially the third part in a three-volume triad, uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1 and 2, and now Spirit of the False Prophet. And together they explain this uh, seven-year period and how the stage is very clearly being set uh, for it. Uh, but you know, in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1, uh, I talk about how there's been an upsurge in demonic uh, activity and, and that it's so important for us not to fall prey uh, to uh, this deception. And I tell the story in the introduction to that book of, of my awakening. You know, I've been a Christian since I was just a boy. I've grown up in a Christian environment. I've studied at uh, Christian schools, have three degrees. I, I've always had a love for theology. But it wasn't until about 17 years ago that I really began to see just how far and widespread the deception uh, really is and to really connect the dots to this cosmic battle between God and Satan. And I think, sadly, if the Lord tarries his coming, we're going to see a lot of even Christians fall prey to the deception. And I think the uh, control of virus scamdemic that we saw two uh, years ago, or three years ago now, was a case study in that, if you, uh, if you ask me. So we're living in a time of historic change. Uh, it's what uh, the globalists call the Great Reset. I call it the Luciferian Endgame. Uh, and or the great satanic 
reset. So just by way of review, before we get into some of the details of the technocracy that is being put in place, and I'll define what that is, uh, I talk about in the Spirit of the Antichrist, uh, Volume uh, 2, uh, and, and also in the first few chapters of Volume 1, this conspiracy. Uh, this uh, conspiracy is just two or more entities working together, usually in secret, to accomplish some illegal or harmful act. Well, certainly Satan is conspiring with his evil spirits in the celestial realm, the fallen angels, the demons, and so forth. Uh, and he's also, uh, you know, working uh, hand in puppet with the human accomplices. And together they constitute the Luciferian conspiracy. I diagram this out in volume one. We won't take the time to go through this now, but if you, uh, if you have Spirit of the Antichrist volume one, you can read uh, my description of each of uh, these layers and how many people are at each layer. But at the top level, you've got you know, actually the, the, the Satan worshipers who worship and pray to Satan the way you and I pray to Almighty God. They believe he's the hero, that he's the, the one that needs to defeat God, the antagonist. They take their marching orders from him and they pass it on to other members of the conspiracy. Obviously, the further down the line you go, the less, uh, you know, people are aware that they're involved in a Luciferian conspiracy. It's a need-to-know basis. But make no mistake about it, the tentacles of Satan's uh, conspiracy uh, run deep. So again, uh, you can uh, see my book to kind of see the discussion of the different, how many people are at each level, and that's the spirit of the Antichrist. But they think Satan's the hero. They dedicate their books to him. Here's Saul Alinsky, as I, I think I mentioned when I was there, uh, who's dedicated his book, Rules for Radicals, to Lucifer. He said, uh, you know, this is the first radical who gained his own kingdom. Remember, in, in Genesis, they think uh, God is the bad guy and Satan, Lucifer, is uh, the good guy. Uh, we see this again and again in their writings. Here's that Canadian Satan worshiper, Manly P. Hall, who uh, said overtly, there are visible powers behind the thrones of earth and men are but marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, early 20th century uh, president, said behind the ostensible government sits enthroned an invisible government, owing no allegiance and acknowledging no responsibility to the people. Uh, I bring his quote up because uh, in Spirit of the uh, False Prophet, I talk about how really there was a shift around the turn of the 20th century during the, the uh, Rockefeller, Carnegie, uh, DuPonts, the Fords, all of the big uh, globalists and banksters, when they set in motion a plan to, to systematically bring down America so they could usher in uh, the one world system. And they've known about this uh, for a long time. Edward Bernays, the father of, of, of publicity or propaganda, uh, he's known as the father of public relations, I think is exactly what they call him. But he said, uh, those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true uh, ruling power of our country. Even Supreme Court justices are aware of this conspiracy, such as Felix Frankfurter, uh, who was... Uh, uh, served on the Supreme Court from 1939 to 1962 when he said the real rulers in Washington are invisible and exercise power uh, from behind the scenes. Woodrow Wilson uh, famously uh, said, some of the biggest men in the United States know that there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive that they better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. It really is a spiritual battle. And Satan is conspiring with earthly aspects of that uh, 
you know, spiritual realm, uh, his human accomplices, his human co-conspirators to try to take over the world. Um, the common term for that on the earth is the new world uh, order. And uh, we see lots of references to that uh, throughout uh, history. I mean, just throw a couple of them up, and then I'm going to skip ahead for the sake of time. But uh, Joe Biden, uh, for example, on March 21st, 2022, during a 15-minute speech at a lobbying organization, the Business Roundtable, it was called, he said, now is a time when things are shifting, and there's going to be a new world order out there, and we've got uh, to lead it. He said, once in, in setting an American agenda for a new world order, we must begin with a profound alteration in traditional thought. Again and again, uh, this comes up. Uh, when Obama was elected, the first truly Manchurian candidate, Henry Kissinger said in an interview on CNBC, I think that his, President Obama's, task will be able will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period when really a new world order can be created. See, they've been trying since the early uh, 20th century to usher in a new world order. They tried it with World War I. They tried it with World War II. They groomed a president, birthed, birthed specifically to become president, thinking now it's finally here. But they're finding out that their blueprint for the new world order is always subject to Almighty God's plan of the ages. He's the ultimate arbiter of the timetable. Henry Kissinger also said the new world order cannot happen without U.S. participation. Yes, there will be a new world order, and it will force the United States to change its perceptions. You saw a lot of people after a World War II mentioning the New World Order, like uh, Churchill. The creation of an authoritative world order is is the goal. Charles de Gaulle said nations will unite in a world government or a parish. Uh, someone we're going to talk a lot about tonight is the big new Brzezinski. And he talked about the regionalization plan in this context, talking about the Trilateral Commission that he helped start with uh, with David Rockefeller. Uh, he said it's ultimately going to lead toward the goal of a, a one-world government. So many, many more quotes that I give in, in all of my books. Um, here is a short uh, video clip. I don't think I'm going to play it because, uh, well, let me just at least start it. I may interrupt it uh, as we go through. But this was fascinating to me. This is uh, Mahathir Mohamed, who at the time was the prime minister of Malaysia. He served as Malaysia's Prime Minister twice, the fourth and the seventh Prime Minister. And uh, this is at a conference called the International Conference on the New World Order. And the theme was to, to discuss whether the New World Order is a recipe for war or peace in the minds of these uh, world leaders. So when we talk about the New World Order, this is their own language, their own topics. They've been talking about it behind closed doors and smoke-filled rooms. Uh, that's the reason they, when they sent all of the Freemasons over from Europe to America uh, about 150 years after the pilgrims first uh, arrived on the shores. They were God-fearing Christians in the 1620s, but by the time uh, the, the uh, founding fathers came over, they were given a task go over there and start uh, the the new world order. That's why they called it the new world. Uh, so listen to this uh, clip and uh, just kind of listen carefully what he says because he's, he's not necessarily advocating for the Luciferian new world order. He's speaking as an independent nation state uh, that is aware of a new world order that is being built and they see the United States and Russia and China as kind of the tip of the spear, and they're not quite sure whether they want to be a part of it 
or not. So let's see if this will come through uh, on the mic. Distinguished speakers, guests, excellencies, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Firstly, I'd like to thank the organizers for giving me the task of uh, introducing the subject for our forum today. And the subject is the new world order, whether it is a recipe for war or peace. We often hear leaders talking about a new world order. And for most of us, when somebody speaks about a new world order, we visualize a better world, a world where we have, uh, we live a much more prosperous life, free of oppression and the like. But actually, the idea of a new world order is not new. It is very old. And you heard from Tan Sri Norin Mai just now, what kind of new world order was first conceived. Basically, it is about having a world government. We should abolish all states, all nations, all borders, but instead have only one world government. And that world government is to be by certain people, elites, people who are very rich, very intelligent, very powerful in many ways, they are the ones who will govern the world. There was not much talk about democracy or choice of leaders. Instead, there was to be a government by these elites who will impose their rules on everyone in this world. And for those who are unwilling to submit to them, there will be punishment. This is the concept initially, but many have not read or do not know about this concept. But it is important for us to remember that this new world order is an old world order. It's something that was conceived more than a hundred years ago. And yet... So let me just comment that obviously, I don't know if this guy's a believer or not. I assume he's not. Uh, and so he's not speaking in terms of the biblical overview of the Luciferian conspiracy. It started, you know, a long time ago. It started in heaven when Satan's coup attempt failed, and then he set his sights on earth. But notice he says, this was in 2015, he says about a hundred uh, years ago, because they all know that something changed in America, which is kind of the beachhead for the New World Order, uh, around the early 1900s. So I just wanted to point that out. Let's go back to, uh, to this video. It is being repeated by powerful politicians from powerful countries that it is new. We should be asking ourselves whether the people who originally conceived this idea has given up hope on achieving a world government. If we study carefully recent history, we will know 
that there are people who still wish to set up a world government where this government rules the whole nation, the whole world without regard for nations or states. There would be no borders. And when I say no borders, I'm quite sure you remember the lots of talk about globalization and a borderless world. Globalization and a borderless world is an expression that relates to the concept of the new world order as it was first conceived. They want to have a borderless world and they want to have globalization, which means, of course, without borders, there would be no states, there would be no nations, there would be just one world. And that one world will be ruled by whom? There is no mention that it would be ruled democratically by election of leaders. That is left unseen. But what we do see is the dominance of the people who enunciated this new world order. We would have no choice at all as to who should rule this world. We have to accept the rulers because they consider themselves as the most suitable people to rule this world. So this idea about the new world order is still in place. The new world order meaning that there should be one world government and they should rule according to their whims and fancies. We see all kinds of subversion taking place, undermining our moral values to the extent that we become helpless. See, I'm going to go ahead and let this play out because there's so much here, I just can't bring myself to stop it. But when he talks about the subversion that's undermining moral values, remember most of these other countries, uh, you know, they're not in favor of the wokeism that has spread through Europe and now across the shores and into America. You know, Russia and China, they don't let transgendered people serve in the military. And, you know, they're not out there promoting, uh, you know, hacking up your your eight-year-old children and letting them choose for themselves, regardless of what the parents want, what gender they are. They hate that stuff. They don't, they're not furthering homosexuality. So they may not be believers and have a biblical worldview, but they see that part of taking over the world and ushering in a a new world order involves undermining the fabric of whatever moral system people might have. Now, there's only a couple of minutes left, so just listen uh, carefully to what he talks here about the depopulation program that I mentioned earlier. Unable to do anything. And the peace that we will get from this is the peace of the graveyard because the intention also is to reduce the number of people in this world. At the time when the new world order was enunciated, the population of this world was only 3 billion. The intention was to reduce it to 1 billion. Now the population of the world is 7 billion. There will be a need to kill many billions of people or to starve them to death or to prevent them from giving birth 
in order to reduce the population of this world. So, you know, that comes right out of the 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 depopulation agenda. He knows it. He's he's rubbed shoulders with these people at the UN, and he, he understands uh, where they're headed. It was part. This was part of by the way about a twenty five minute speech. I kind of trimmed it down, took off his introduction, and uh, it, it's just really fascinating to me that how one more example of how open they are about all of this stuff. So make no mistake, Satan has earthly accomplices. Uh, Psalm two tells us this that. They're conspiring together, the kings and rulers of the world, to try to throw off uh, their bonds. Notice the capitalization there in yellow. That's talking about the triune God. See, Satan has control issues. He does not like uh, being, uh, you know, subject uh, to, you know, God's control. He doesn't like that God's in charge and that God is almighty and sovereign. And so he's trying to break those bonds and, and cast away. Uh, their cord. Speaking of Satan's earthly accomplices, here's one uh, that I know I didn't show when I was with you uh, that you might uh, find interesting. This is Walter Cronkite after his retirement uh, receiving the World Federalist Association Global Governance Award. They're giving him an award as uh, for his help in advancing the globalist agenda, which of course is a Luciferian Agenda. So this is a 26-second clip in which he refers to evangelical conservatives, that's you and me, who think that only Christ can preside over a one-world government. How foolish is that, he says. And listen to the way he mocks anybody that would think that. The leader, Ed Robertson, has written in a book a few years ago that we should have a world government, but only when the Messiah arrives. <laughs> He wrote, evidently, any attempt to achieve world order before that time must be the work of the devil. Well, join me. I'm glad to sit here at the right hand of Satan. Join me. I'm proud to sit here at the right hand of Satan. So, uh, you know, again, I go into this in much greater detail in my, uh, my Spirit of the Antichrist books, but I want to take, if you'll allow me, let me take about 10 or 12, 15 minutes maybe, to just talk about uh, this technocracy and how it is setting the stage for the one world uh, government that is coming, and particularly at the midpoint of the tribulation when the Antichrist and false prophet preside over this you know, prison planet, this, this planetary penitentiary, if you, if you will. So Aesop, that uh, 6th century BC Greek uh, storyteller, he said, he, you, you may be familiar with Aesop's fables, he said, the tyrant will always find a pretext for his tyranny. And in this dictatorial dash toward the new world order, technology is the pretext. It's a carrot, if you will, that in many ways already has entrapped its, its victims through the promise of convenience, efficiency, entertainment, increased profits, a, a bigger bottom line, and other bells and whistles. Digital technology, digital devices, lure unsuspecting uh, marks into a Bastille-like arena where freedom is found to be an illusion, ultimately. And going back to Brzezinski, uh, in his 1971 book, Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era, he called it a technotronic era, but the technical term going back to the 20s is techn technocracy, and I'll define that in a second. But he said in his book, the post-industrial society is becoming a technotronic society, a society that is shaped culturally, psychologically, socially, and economically by the impact of technology and electronics. So what is a 
technocracy. A technocracy is a form of government whereby government officials or policymakers, they're called technocrats, and I talk about that in the book, are chosen by some higher authority, the globalists, the one-worlders, due to their technical skills or expertise in a specific domain. In a technocracy, people with immense knowledge in science technology and science and technology are put in power. And once they're in positions of authority, then they're venerated by the masses. And, and we see that happening today. People think, oh, Bill Gates, he's brilliant, or Elon Musk, he's brilliant, or, you know, Ray Kurzweil, he's brilliant. No, they're not. They're Satan worshipers. They're not brilliant. Uh, Brzezinski, in his same book, uh, envisioned a, a gradual appearance of a more controlled and directed society. By the way, if you don't know Brzezinski, I give the background in the book, but he is arguably the most influential uh, man in American politics of the entire 20th century. He served in many administrations as an advisor on both Republican and uh, Democrat side, which of course is really fake. There is no uh, right-left paradigm. It's all for show. But notice what he said. This society that he envisioned and that the globalists envisioned would be dominated by an elite whose claim to political power would rest on allegedly superior scientific know-how, unhindered by the restraints of traditional liberal values, and he's talking there about freedom, liberty, uh, this elite would not hesitate to achieve its political ends by using the latest modern techniques for influencing public behavior and keeping society under close surveillance. And so he said soon it's going to be a pos possible to assert almost continuous surveillance over every uh, citizen, and we can transform society uh, in, the United, in the United States into a highly controlled society. He died in 2017, and shortly before his death in a television interview, he, he said, today it's infinitely easier to kill one million people than to control one million people. That should chill you to the bone, but it, it again, it goes right to the heart of their depopulation uh, agenda. I did a presentation in March uh, that we posted uh, the podcast form of, the audio form of, at Prophecy Watchers called Bloodlust, Exposing the Luciferian Depopulation Agenda. To get the video version, you could go to Prophecy Watchers, but if you want to listen to the audio, check out uh, the archives of our podcast. So as we think about this technocracy, it has two elements, hacking humanity and tracking humanity. And uh, you've all know a Harari who I dedic dedicate, or not dedicate, but have a whole chapter uh, exclusively focused on him in the new book. I call him a wolf in wolf's uh, clothing. He, he has a lot to say, uh, in, you know, and I quote him extensively, about hacking. And he sort of comes across as if he's somewhat concerned about it, and he's, he's doing us a favor by sounding an alarm. But at the same time, you can almost see a, a hint of glee in his eyes because he certainly uh, is not afraid of technology. He just uh, is uh, kind of warning us basically what's coming, telegraphing us, uh, if you will. Uh, in this uh, clip, I'll play this uh, short two-minute uh, clip, uh, he talks about uh, how people need to uh, accept biometric uh, surveillance. Listen to uh, what he says in this clip. And COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet. 
what movies we watched. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. We now see mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet, above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. Yeah, this is fake news. If you don't know the name Yuval Noah Harari, you need to. That's why I focused a whole chapter on him. He is really the leading candidate for the false prophet. He checks all of the boxes. He's a key spokesman for the elite now. He's essentially Klaus Schwab's uh, underling at the World Economic Forum. He's listed on the World Economic Forum site as a uh, advisor for the World Economic Forum. He's spoken there many times, shared the main stage uh, at the WEF conferences as well as smaller uh, symposiums and things. Uh, so again, he said, I think the most important thing for people to realize about living in the 21st century is that we are now hackable animals. He said, there is somebody out there who is right now trying to hack you. And not just one, Amazon is trying to hack you, Google is trying to hack you, Coca-Cola is trying to hack you, the Russians, the American government, the Chinese, they're all trying to hack you right now. So this idea of hacking and tracking, does it sound like it could be similar to what the Bible talks about in the future tribulation period? Absolutely. The only way the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to be able to control the world is through technology. Even Elon Musk admits and I'm going to play this clip, but I put the quote on the screen because the, the audio is not uh, as clear as I wish it was. But Elon Musk said, if one company or small group of people manages to develop godlike digital superintelligence, they could take over the world. Listen. Because if one company or small group of people manages to develop godlike digital superintelligence, they could take over the world. So that's their goal. That's Satan's goal. He wants to take over the world and usher in a one world system. So I have lots more to say uh, about hacking humanity in the book. And then we also talk about tracking humanity, as you just heard in the Harari uh, quote about government uh, surveillance. There's no question that the government is tracking everything we do. I talk uh, in the book about uh, smart nodes and street lights, about uh, facial recognition, about drone technology. I, I just saw an article just yesterday. This was from September 23rd. It caught my eye uh, in uh, on CNN.com. And it was actually a, 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 a heartwarming story about a 17-year-old boy that was kidnapped for ransom by some Mexican uh, uh, warlords. Uh, or there was some issue with this kid's father. They, they said that he owed the money. So they demanded $500,000 in ransom. 
him. And uh, the the FBI fortunately rescued him without any injury from a hotel room. But as you're reading the story, there's a little paragraph in there that should jump off the, the, the page at anyone who's concerned about technology and how they can use technology to, to track us. And it says this, the FBI obtained a warrant. Now listen, permitting the use of a sophisticated device called a cell site simulator, which is a surveillance tool that mimics a cell phone tower, causing phones in the vicinity to register with the simulator. Once phones connect to the device, investigators can pinpoint a particular phone. So in other words, it forces your phone to connect to it, the signal, and then they can simply uh, come find you. That type of technology could easily be helpful uh, for someone who's trying to control everyone in the world. So they really are trying to control the world. This is what uh, digital currency is all about. I have a whole chapter on that uh, called um, uh, Now You See It, Now You Don't. Uh, and, you know, it's tied into the digital global ID system. Uh, so again, I won't take the time to go into this, but I just wanted to kind of give you a, a sneak peek uh, at, you know, or at least whet your appetite on some of the topics that that I cover in there. But how do we deal with all this? Before we go to a Q&A, how do we respond to this rise of the global technocracy? Well, the first thing is don't let fear overcome you. You know, psychologists say that uh, fear is the most powerful motivator of all, and the Luciferians know this quite well. And they use fear uh, to get people, for example, to line up and take what turns out to be an incredibly dangerous and deadly gene-altering bioinjection that has killed millions of people around the world without ever testing it. Just be afraid, be very afraid, line up, stick your arm out the window, let us inject you uh, with uh, this dangerous uh, technology. They love to use fear, but the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And remember, in that same passage that talks about the, the false prophet, the Antichrist, and how the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work, and how we need to be testing the spirits because many false prophets are out there, that same passage goes on to tell us that uh, greater is he who is in you than he who is in uh, the world. So uh, before I close and we transition into your questions, I just want to issue this challenge. I don't, I don't know who all is in the room there or maybe why providentially God led you uh, to this presentation tonight, but I implore you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, now is the time to get your spiritual house in order. The Bible tells us in John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So we don't know when the Lord's going to come back. But even, even if the rapture is delayed, uh, you know, we, we're not promised tomorrow. James tell us, tells us life is but a vapor. So today's the day, if you're not certain that you'll spend eternity in heaven when you die, that you want to set that straight. And the Bible says it's very simple. It's a matter of faith. Uh, everyone's a sinner in need of a Savior. The only one that can save you is Jesus Christ, God's Son. He took your place and my place on the cross, died for our sins, paid a debt he didn't know because we owed a debt we could never pay, and he rose again the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave, purchasing life with his own blood, and offering that life freely to anyone who will accept it from him. So you can't get eternal life by working for it, by religion, by baptism, by any other man-made works or performance. It's only a free gift. Jesus truly did pay it all. So I hope you'll trust in him 
today. And if you already know the Lord, uh, I just want to encourage you, don't stick your head in the sand. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 22, 3, that the wise person sees trouble coming and prepares for it. So we want to be prepared. And that's a big reason that I wrote uh, this latest book is to remind people of the dangers of technology. We use them eyes wide open, but in chapter 9 of the book, I give an answer to how to escape from the prison planet. If things continue to go south, how can we uh, unplug? So with that, uh, I'll turn it back over to Dwayne. Thanks so much for letting me uh, share my heart on these matters, and i uh, love to answer a few questions if you've got them. All right. Yeah, we have some questions. All right. So, um, JB, can you hear me? I can. All right. One um, question was, any thoughts about when CBDC will become mandatory? Um, when it does, do you think the government will require taxes to be paid this way? Yeah, great question. And I've done several presentations exclusively about CBDC. Uh, so I encourage you to check our website and look on the videos tab for those that are all still posted or the audio. If you're more of an audio person, you can listen to the podcast. But the answer is every place in the world right now is going towards a, uh, you know, a digital currency. Uh, that's one subset of the broader digital ID. So everything's going to be digitized. Now, uh, I believe that it, if the analogy that I've used is like putting out Christmas lights in your yard, you know, you put some on this bush and on this tree and around your you know, railing and your sidewalk and so forth. And as you're putting them out, you're kind of testing them and you're plugging in to make sure that all the lights in this string work. But eventually when you've got everything where you want it, you plug them all in to one, say a power strip or something. And that way you can turn them all off or all on at the same time. And I think that's what they're doing now. Uh, some countries have already rolled it out and it's mandatory and they have for some time. In China, for example, it's all tied to your social credit score. And you might go shopping and the, the clerk says, sorry, you, we can't serve you here. You, you, you know, you can't, you can't buy these items because you uh, were unkind on social media or you said something that doesn't uh, agree with our worldview. Uh, your carbon footprint. Uh, your medical status. No, I'm sorry, sir, you can't buy that food because your blood sugar is too high. Remember, it's hacking and tracking. Uh, you've used too much water. You've used your car too often, that, that kind of thing. As far as America, I've, I'm of the belief, and I've mentioned this on record several times in several interviews, I don't think that we're going to get to the point in America where they demand that everybody go to this uh, system. I was talking to a banker on Friday of a privately owned bank that's been around since the late 1800s. Uh, and I asked him about FedNow, which FedNow is the back end mechanism uh, for this, uh, you know, system. It's what allows transactions to, to take place more quickly. Uh, it's not the same thing as a CBDC. It's essentially the engine that on which CBDCs, at least in the Federal Reserve, will run. Uh, but uh, he said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to use it, uh, but it's just a means to make things that used to take a day now happen in a second. Um, so I think the, the, un, the uh, infrastructure is being put in place for it, but it's my view that I think we're, we're not you know, in a position where anytime soon they're going to put a gun to your head and say, you've got to sign on this or you can't get your Social Security, you can't pay your taxes. I think that day's coming, but my best guess my educated guess is that we're going to see some kind of major collapse or, or uh, 
unfreezing event that brings down America. We didn't have time to get into it tonight, but in my books, I talk about how their goal is to bring down America. They've got to destroy America so they can build back better. It's order out of chaos. That's their MO. And and so I think something's going to happen that collapses America, and the digital currency is going to be the savior. It's going to be, well, look, if everybody will sign on to this, then our money will be safe. So I think it could happen, uh, but I don't see them going door to door and putting a gun to people's head, at least not anytime soon. That's just my uh, best guess. But of course, that unfreezing event, that could happen at any time. I've had lots to say about that too, especially with all the signs of the times that we see happening. Uh, I think 2024 is going to be a very interesting year, but that's why you need to prepare now and make sure that you uh, you have alternate means to survive. I wouldn't worry too much about paying your taxes and you know paying your uh, you know your mortgage and getting your Social Security. When all of this happens, in my opinion, it's going to be an end of the world as we know it scenario, and you're just going to be basically in survival mode. You need to have food, water, protection, shelter, that kind of thing. So that that's my two cents worth. Someone has asked, um, what's your view on no one knows the day or the hour? Yeah, so I think in the context there, Jesus is talking about the second coming. And essentially what he is saying is, look, uh, that's up to God when he's going to put his the final phase of his plan in place. Um, and uh, we know God has a timetable. We know the Luciferians have a timetable. Their blueprint has been well documented. They've been talking about it for 100 years. Uh, in volume two, I talk about uh, the Luciferian timeline and how 100 years ago uh, they were channeling demons, a demon named Master DK, uh, who t- 15 times in 10,000 pages, Alice Bailey referenced at the you know uh, urging of this demon, the year 2015, and that was back in the 1930s, I mean 2025, excuse me. So in the 1930s, they're talking about 2025. They've been telegraphing this decade, Agenda 21, the 21st century, Agenda 2030, and the, this plan. Uh, and then more recently with the things like the... Uh, the pandemic and so forth. So doesn't mean it's going to happen though. And I think that's what Jesus was saying there is that God, God's in control of the times and the seasons. Okay. Yeah, Mike. Uh, I have a question. I was here at the, the last conference and I thought, but uh, you know, uh, I didn't really feel like this really affected me. And I worked a child and they put this on the break for us to read and everything. Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Shaw is committed to creating an inclusive and supportive environment where all associates can thrive. We embrace diversity in all its forms, including race, religion, country of origin, sexual orientation, gender identity, and ability. And stand and where where was that from because i'm having a little trouble hearing you but i think i know what you're talking about where was that from it's a division of virtual pathway which is uh warren buffett yeah yeah so uh maybe Dwayne, if you can summarize the the crux of the question and i'll i'll answer it. I i got most of it but it was it was hard to hear 
he was he was saying that uh, throughout the plant at the Shaw plant that he works um, for, uh, they have all of these signs and notices about diversity, equity, and inclusion yeah. for associates, and we accept you know whatever gender and whatever identity you have and all of that, and. Um, so, yeah. So that kind of goes back to what the Malaysian prime minister was talking about. Uh, they and what I've talked about with uh, their goal of transhumanism. Transhumanism is essentially the other side of the coin of technocracy. And transhumanism is just they believe they can transcend humanity. And they're doing that because, as I said, humanity is God's image bearers. And so when they defeat us, they can they can say in your face to God and they can make something better better that transcends humanity and ai remember doesn't have gender so that's why they've had this gender surrender attack i talk about that in chapter 13 of volume 2 they they want to marginalize gender they want to make you think oh gender's no big deal you can be whatever you want if your eight-year-old thinks they want to be a boy and instead of a girl that's fine we're going to force you parents to make them you have surgery that kind of thing like they're doing in california so the the underlying premise of it is to erode our respect for and understanding even of what it means to be human. Uh, Klaus Schwab and others have talked about that uh, extensively. Harari has talked about that. So I think that, that these globalist-owned companies like Shaw and, and, and all of them, really, are all advancing the same agenda. And by the way, it's not just secular companies. Uh, it's crept into the church. I mean, the, the, one of the signs of the times is the great last day's apostasy, uh, and we see that happening with Christian companies. Uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, companies or uh, organizations that kind of oversees Christian schools has gone completely woke. Most Bible colleges and seminaries have gone completely woke. Uh, it's it's uh, Most churches have uh, gone woke. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's just par for the course. They're, they're, they're under the guise of sustainability. Uh, whenever you see that word, it should raise a big red flag under the guise of, uh, you know, equality. Uh, they're trying to, uh, to do away with uh, the very core things that are part of the image of God and men. Remember, God made man male and female. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, in his image. Other questions? I've got one, uh, uh, JB. You're, are you familiar with the Georgia Guidestones? Oh, absolutely. We've been there. We took pictures. Uh, of course, they were destroyed recently. Uh, but yeah, the, the Georgia Guidestones, I talk about that. I think it's in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1. Um, but yeah, it was one of the many places that I wanted to visit when I was doing my research uh, prior to writing the first uh, the first book. Um, but it is a very enigmatic, uh, if you don't know what it is, you guys probably do because it's just not far from, from you guys up in Elbert County. But essentially, it was a mysteriously funded and, and uh, created monolithic structure that has in eight different languages the Ten Commandments, if you will, of the, the, the one world uh, government, of the, the, the New World Orders, uh, the people. And the number very one number one on the list is to maintain uh, the humanity's population at 500 million. So right there, they're telegraphing what they're what they're wanting to do. Here's another question. Um, do you think Matthew 24, 44, uh, at such a time as you think not, the Son of Man cometh, is a reference to the second coming or the rapture? That was Matthew 24, 30 what? 
44. Oh, 44. Yeah, in that second half of chapter 24. Yeah, that's definitely the second coming. The entire Olivet Discourse is about the second coming, not the rapture. Uh, the rapture's never even men mentioned or hinted at until the next day in the upper room when Jesus uh, alludes to it when he says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And then early on in the church age, God specifically reveals the doctrine of the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, which was written in about 51 AD. So the church was never mentioned uh, in the Gospels in terms of God's plan for the church. Je uh, Jesus did at one point mention, I will in the future build my church, which he did in Acts chapter 2, uh, but it, it was not in existence. The in, in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is answering the question from the disciples, when is your kingdom going to, to finally come? Because remember, we know that as he rode into Jerusalem for that final week of his life, the disciples thought, because the Bible tells us what was in their minds in Luke 19, they thought the kingdom was going to come right away, that Jesus was going to throw off the shackles of Rome and usher in the long-awaited messianic kingdom. And so in that context in Luke 19, he tells them a parable to remind them, no, no, I'm going to go away to receive the kingdom, and you're going to have some things to do while I'm gone, and then I'll come back and inaugurate the kingdom. Uh, but uh, so by the time you get to uh, uh, four days later, so Jesus had that conversation in Luke 19 on Sunday. By Wednesday, he had overthrown the tables of the money changers. He cursed the fig tree. Uh, and the disciples are starting to panic and say, wait a minute, you know, when's the kingdom going to come? Because Jesus had, had just announced the destruction of the temple. Remember, he said, not one stone will be left upon another. Well, the disciples are confused. How can the kingdom happen if there's not going to be a temple? So they ask the question, what will be the sign of the end of the age and of your coming and, and the kingdom? And so the entire Olivet Discourse, which is in Matthew 24 and 25, it's in Luke uh, 21, and it's in Mark 13, is in answer to that question. It has nothing to do with the rapture. The church wasn't even in existence yet. Uh, and he basically says, here's what's going to happen. When you see these things, the, then you know my, my, my coming is about to happen. And it tracks perfectly with Revelation 6 to 18 and the tribulation. All the signs are there. I have a chart in my uh, chart book that compares the two. Um, and so, yeah, the uh, none none of the application passages because he goes through in 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 verses four all the way to thirty one and describes the signs, and then the Son of Man comes in verse thirty one, and he regathers Israel into the land, and then he begins in verse thirty two with these practical application, like a good preacher. He says, "So therefore, be ready." You know, like the the two men in the field, one taken, the other left. That's not the rapture. That's uh, that's, you know, the, the second coming because the one taken is taken away in judgment. The one left behind is left behind to inhabit the kingdom. And that's exactly what happens, uh, as you see in Matthew 25, when Christ comes back. The, 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 the goats go to the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The sheep, he says, come ye blessed of my father. So that's why he uses the analogy of Noah. It's the same thing. In Noah's day, it was the righteous that were left behind and the unrighteous that were taken off the earth. And that's what's going to happen at the second coming. Other questions? Oh, okay. Um, okay, just a moment. Um, so, uh, which... Okay, JB, how do you see the increase um, 
cries about climate crisis tied into this agenda specifically? Yeah, so the climate hoax is just one more means to an end. It's one more means of control. They, it's classic Hegelian dialectic. Uh, Friedrich Hegel, uh, that... Uh, uh, atheistic German philosopher talked about uh, problem-reaction-solution. When you've got an agenda, and an evil agenda in this case, uh, and you want uh, to accomplish it, the easiest way to accomplish it is to get people to ask for it. <laughs> so you can force people at gunpoint to do things, but it's much easier if they think it's a solution to a perceived problem. So in order to control finances and control the economy and control our travel and everything in the 15-minute cities and things I've talked about elsewhere, they've got to convince you there's a problem. So they're crying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, but, you know, send all your money to Al Gore and he'll save you. You know, that's essentially the the climate cri the fake climate crisis in a nutshell. It was exposed years ago in the, the famous Copenhagen Climate Summit, in which there was a leaked uh, bunch of emails that leaked out, in which you could see the globalists talking behind the scenes how much they knew this was fake, and it was all just about money. It's all about money, taking your money. So I think it's 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 a part of the mix, a big part of it. It's part of their agenda, uh, and I think other uh, false flag events like that are coming. They're gonna they're gonna claim there's a. a you know, a economic crisis, and uh, or there may actually be one. They can bring down the the uh, grid in a heartbeat if they want to. Uh, you know, the same same thing we see with a lot of these uh, mass shootings. Uh, to be sure, some of them are real. There are really bad people in the world that do really bad things. It's just a fallen world. But quite a few of them, it's been proven, are you know manipulated CIA agents and others that are p purposely doing this with trained assassins just to try to uh, gin up this anti-gun mentality so that everybody will turn in their guns to make the world a safer place, which is, of course, you know counterintuitive, but uh, they don't care. So yeah, I think it's a big part of, part of the agenda. Uh, I'm, just as an aside, is this like a practice run for uh, all the false signs and wonders that will be coming during the tribulation? It's almost like they're everyone's in dry like like dry run. They're rehearsing a role, uh, getting everything ready. That seems to be what's going on, and there's like a convergence of all this coming together. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely part of it. They're definitely doing dry runs. I think that's what the uh, the pandemic was all about. We we in my first book, chapter nine, the biggest chapter in the book, I have fifty pages that give you know smoking gun evidence that this was pre-planned uh, years in advance, twenty years in advance, and and they targeted it for this time. I think that has to do with American politics. Why in the 2016 selection, notice I said selection, not election. We don't have elections. We have selections. They selected Trump. They needed him in there to roll out uh, the pandemic and the medical tyranny and the uh, emergency declaration on March 13th, 2020, Friday the 13th, uh, that basically suspended the Constitution and forced people not to worship Jesus on Easter Sunday and those types of things. Uh, and then they needed him in there for Operation Warp Speed. So I think all of this is planned. Some of it's a dry run. Some of it is actually kind of setting the stage and putting pieces in place so that when they're ready to kind of cross the finish line from their evil perspective, all the pieces are in place. Uh, but they definitely do dry runs. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, they they want to see how people reacted. We know that they were, uh, in their own words, uh, pleasantly surprised with how easily Americans in particular 
uh, caved in to the medical tyranny. Uh, in other parts of the world, it was much worse. Uh, but uh, in America, I think they did not expect uh, the success that they got. You know, 95% of churches shut down because the government said you can't go to church. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think they were pleased. And I think what's coming next, we've talked about a few scenarios. I think somewhere in the mix is going to be another pandemic. And if you thought that COVID scared people and all of the the state-run media showing all of these pictures of people looking through the windows at their nursing homes and they're not able to be with their dying relative, not able to be there for the birth of their child and all of these fear tactics, if you think that was bad, I mean, hang on to your tinfoil hat because it's going to get a lot worse next time around. Uh, They're going to ratchet up the fear factor. And I know a lot of my colleagues in the prophecy world have have talked about uh, how they think that they won't be able to pull one over on Americans again, that we've awakened to it. I don't think so at all. I, I think people have awakened to it. And frankly, you know, a lot more people are awake now to the government's lies about those types of things than they were pre-pandemic. But they'll flip right back in line if you just scare them enough. And so that's why I write the books and I'm trying to tell people to steal themselves now and, uh, you know, be ready. Don't let, you know, don't, don't fall victim to it. So uh, I, I think they, they do these test runs and they learn from it and then they, they, they try more, but they're definitely putting a lot of the pieces together. That's why I think there's an urgency to the hour. Okay. Thank you. Another question. Are the companies that try to promote the Christian values and warn of the end days, going to be taken out by the ones who support the Luciferian conspiracy in their agenda? And will it be gradual or quickly? Did you get all that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, I, I'm not sure there are very many Christian companies that are sounding the alarm, quite frankly. Um, most of them are controlled. Um, even the ones that we think are conservative are controlled. They're, the part of the Hegelian dialectic is called controlled opposition. So they want to give voice to the conservative side so that we think we have someone on our team, so to speak. But they're both, you know, it's, it's, like, a, uh, it's like a Don King fight. You know, he, no matter who wins the boxing match, he gets rich or you know, a wrestling match. You know, it's all staged. It's all theater. Um, so, but I do think there is a remnant out there. And I, I like to think Not By Works is, is part of that remnant. And, and many of my friends and colleagues uh, that have a far greater reach than what we do, I think are awake to the Luciferian conspiracy, are sounding the alarm. And as a matter of fact, I think already they've taken some of them out. Uh, you know, um, I was talking with someone uh, this afternoon after church about uh, Russ Dizdar, who I cite pretty extensively in volume two. Uh, might even cite him in volume one, but uh, I believe they killed him and Shelley, his wife. And uh, he was a, a great warrior for truth and re- really awake to the spiritual battle and all that they're doing. He was particularly adept at the demonic aspect of it and what Satan's demonic co-conspirators are doing. A lot of my focus has been on the human accomplices, although I certainly in volume two went down that rabbit trail as well. Uh, so I think they will take them out um, but I think it's it's going to be a matter of degree. They're, they're only going to bring down the ones that are n- negatively impacting their agenda. So 
you know, I, I don't, it doesn't serve their purpose to make martyrs out of people. And, and, you know, there's a fine line there between, you know, elevating, so like, for example, not by works, you know, we're not that huge. We, you know, we've got, we've had maybe 1.5 million downloads of our podcasts. We do about seven to eight to 9,000 downloads a day. In the grand scheme of things, that's nothing. That's, I mean, someone can, you know, show a picture of a cat doing cartwheels on a, you know, couch and they go viral and get a million views in, in two hours. So, I mean, in, in the social media world and in the world as we know it, that's not that significant. And for them to try to do something to us, which they might, I mean, I, I have no doubt that they're watching us. So we've got evidence of that. I've seen some funny business with our technology. I mean, I'm, I'm a conspiracy theorist, right? I, I believe in the conspiracy theories that are true. And, uh, you know, as I've said before, I'm so paranoid, I think the people in front of me are following me. But uh, I don't think it would serve their interest to, to try to bring us down because now all of a sudden not by works becomes a martyr and all and it grows. And so I think there's that fine line. I think they bring out, they, they take out the big guns and then they, they kind of leave the others alone. Um, and it's not just ministries. I think the same principle applies to people which is why I'm so passionate about preparedness, because I understand, obviously, at the end of the day, if America gets taken over by the the New World Order and the military turns itself on citizens, if they wanted to, they could go over every square inch of this country, hunt you down, and find you. But I just don't think they're going to to want to do that. They're going to get the low-hanging fruit, the major metropolitan areas, and those that survive, just as we saw with World War II, are going to be those who saw it, who see it coming and are prepared for it and, and can hide out and weather the storm. Because there's no guarantee the Lord's going to come back. I mean, it seems like the stage is being set for the soon coming of the Lord. I, if you press me on my personal opinion, I think it can't be much longer. Um, but who knows? The Lord is, is merciful. And uh, he may want the times of the Gentiles to progress even longer. And so we could be living in a tyrannical regime well before the rapture. And if that's the case, I think we're going to have to be smarter. We're not going to be stronger. We're not going to be able to take down the mightiest military in the world. Um, You know, although strangely enough, 19 millennials did it with nothing more than bandanas and box cutters on a bright sunny day in 2001. But normally speaking, uh, you you can't take down the mightiest military in the world. Um, And so if you if you just lay low, kind of fly below the below the road, don't call attention to yourself. And so my approach is eyes wide open. Be ready. In the meantime, we're using technology like we're doing tonight. We're doing all that we can to get the word out with the full understanding that at any moment they could push a button and we're going to have to head for the hills. Well, maybe we should wrap up now. So folks have kept to go. Um, but JB, thanks for being with us. And uh, how can folks uh, access their, access your books if they want to get a hold of those? Yeah. So uh, just go to spirit of the false prophet.org. Uh, we have a, a very robust new online store that we, uh, we just rolled out. I'm really, really proud of it. My daughter, Brooke, who works for the ministry, uh, put that together. We we were part of Square, uh, but they had a, a global glitch uh, a few weeks ago that affected tens of thousands of merchants, and it took us offline for 18 hours. And so that was kind of the final straw for us. So we 
redid everything. Uh, you can get to it by going to spiritofthefalseprophet.org. Uh, you, you can also, once you go there, go to our main homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Um, we, we do podcasts of four or five per week that are free. You can listen to on any podcast provider. Just search for Not By Works Ministries. But thanks so much for for sharing the evening with me. I hope some of this was uh, helpful and, 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 and eye-opening and at the same time uh, drives you back to the Word of God as the only uh, standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. Davey, we've got one more question. Can we squeeze that in? Absolutely. You bet. Thank you. Should we really believe the news about the extraterrestrial non-human beings just being exposed? How does this fit in with the global agenda? Oh, man, I, you, you saved the best for last. I can't answer that in 30 seconds, but I'll do my best. So in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, uh, which was the previous two books, so Volume 1 came out March of 22. Volume 2 came out in October of last year, and then Volume or, uh, Spirit of the False Prophet came out uh, just in September 1st, just a few days ago. But in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, Chapters 9 and 10, I talk all about the UFO phenomena. It is real. It is not extraterrestrial or little green men from Mars. It is demonic. It is dimensional. It started in 1947 in the context of Israel becoming a nation again. Satan, who's not omnipresent nor omniscient, he saw that Israel was becoming a nation for the first time in 1800 years, and he knows God's word, and so he knows that if Israel's re-emerging as a nation state, it, we're probably getting close to the end of God's plan, and so he started sending out these demons on reconnaissance missions, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's not, uh, it, this is one of the biggest signs, the spirit of phenomena, I call it in the book, that we're getting close, is that, you know, for 70 years, the U.S. government denied that they were tracking and, dial, and, and cataloging UFO activity. Now, those who studied it knew that was a lie, and I've been a UF, ufologist, you know, enthusiast for for many years now. Uh, but eventually, in 2017, uh, with the breaking story of the New York Times, December 16th of that year, they uh, said, "Okay, we admit it. We've been tracking them since 1947. We've got whole buildings full of data. We've got." paper trails, we've got video stuff, and then, of course, now we've had the first UFO open hearings, uh, you know, in 50 years. We've got major, you know, generals and key people. We started the Space Force. That's the whole reason that Trump started the Space Force, is because they, it's gotten so far out of hand, they can't control it anymore, and the people in government think this is some type of extraterrestrial danger that's an existential threat to humanity. They don't understand that it's demonic. Some of them do. In fact, that came out just recently at a conference. They all said, yeah, we're starting to think this is dimensional, which means demonic from a biblical worldview, and uh, not extraterrestrial. But in any event, whatever they think it is, there's a problem. And they decided we need to start addressing it. And they, and they couldn't address it without sort of breaking this wide open and making it part of the, the normal public discourse. So it's very much real, but it's not uh, little green men, that's for sure. Okay, one more. You, with with the programs that you're on uh, with Jan Markell, Prophecy Watchers, uh, Hope for Our Times, uh, there's a big conference coming up in uh, Oklahoma here in a couple of weeks. Um, what is your bead on uh, churches? Are, is the Christian community... In America, are they awakening to this, or uh, are they still pretty much asleep? 
very much asleep. I see the dividing line uh, broadening. I think they, that we are seeing an awakening in some regard, but the vast majority of churches have you know, are apostate, which is exactly what the Bible says is going to happen in the end, you know, the last days. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see a, an awakening in the church. I find that like our church, for example, uh, Plum Creek Chapel, uh, will have, you know, hundred to 120 people in the room on a given Sunday. We have two services. I think this morning we had 107, uh, but we'll have several hundred more joining by uh, live stream. Uh, when we do events, you know, we used to do prophecy night. Uh, we'd have, you know, uh, 50 or so at a, at a peak in the room, but we would have sometimes as many as 7,000 that watched over the next week. So there is a general resurgence among God's people uh, that, that is happening but based on people telling each other and, and, you know, listening to prophecy conferences and things. But I just don't see very many churches like a, a Doug Gap or a Plum Creek that are uh, out there on the front lines. And, and again, I, I think when it all kind of falls apart, if that does happen anytime soon, most churches are going to be ill-equipped. I have a chapter in the new book, Spirit of the False Prophet, uh, about uh, Romans 13 and the use and misuse, the, the misuse and abuse of that chapter. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, uh, for coming. And thanks, JB, for your time. And, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you bet. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I'm going to end the meeting, and I'll let you guys close up there. But uh, reach out anytime if we can help with anything. And, and God bless you. Appreciate you letting me be a part of it. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night.